Ketel. Ready? Today's daf is being learnt. Leila Nishmas Ketel Peril Bas Petzalo. Shama should have an aliyah from the learning that we do here. So, I want to start off from Gimel Amid Bey's, go a few lines back, about six lines, seven lines up, the harp hanging on top of David HaMelech's bed, the Kivan Shehegiyah Chatzois Laila, Baruch Tzafoynes, Chatzois at midnight, the northern wind would blow, and it would start playing by itself. Today, we call that an alarm clock. The Gemara later will discuss whether the alarm cl- uh, what the exact purpose was. You know, I'm just thinking, you know, we don't rely on miracles, right? Even David HaMelech, but David HaMelech at the same time, he lived a life tied to the miraculous... Uh, a miraculous life. It was tied to miracles every day for David HaMelech. So, and still we see, what's the nace that we're talking about here? David HaMelech, Hashem could have made a nace, that David HaMelech every single day woke up exactly on time. But that's not how it went. David HaMelech didn't rely on that. He had a barrier. He had, a, he had an alarm clock. No, he had a barrier to text him, right? He had, a, he had even better. He had a keynote to, to wake him up. But it's just interesting that even David HaMelech, who lived with a tremendous amount of supernatural events in his life, but didn't rely on, wake, when it comes to waking up in the morning, he says, I need, a, I need a way to wake up. You know, I can't rely on the fact that I'll automatically wake up. They need Parnasa. They need to make a livelihood. Obviously, the economy is not doing too great. Gimel Amit Beis, four lines from the bottom, fourth word in. So go and create an economy for yourselves. Go and do business. It's not going to be enough. You can't satisfy a lion with a small amount. If you have a bar, a, a cistern, a pit, that you want it to fill up with rainwater, it won't fill it up entirely. You need to have some other source providing water into it. Basically, the response to David HaMelech was, it's not going to be enough. We need some input from the feds over here, some interest rate manipulation. We need some, something to get the economy shaking. So go and take up arms, go to war, and basically expand your, your, your boundaries. Uh, your empire, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. This is, well, go and expound your boundaries. But they didn't just go to war. It was because David Amalek said go to war. They asked the, the general, we'll see who played each role. The Nimlach was Sanhedrin. They asked the Sanhedrin. And they asked for a sign from the Urim Batumim, from the breastplate of the Kohen God. Amr of Yosef, my crop. Where do we see this in the Psukim? So we see that there was a chain of command of these people who were asked whether they should enter into war, whether they'll be victorious or not. He is the one who gave the solution. Uh, 
But now, uh, so they would ask Achitaifel first. He was the he was the general. Do you think we could go to war and win? And if he said yes, he said. Then they went on to the next person. Who was the next person to ask? The top of Dal and Aleph for a Ben Yo Ben Yada that Sanhedrin. And they asked the Sanhedrin. Now you would think Ben Yo was the based and according to Rashi, and you would think like this is a military matter. What are you asking the head of the base to the head of Sanhedrin? But the answer is, this is a halachic shayla. This is a halachic shayla. Both, do we have the merits to win a war? Are we entitled to do this? These are not just uh, uh, matters of, do you have the, you know, do you have the military power? But it's also, are you, are you halachically entitled? That, and, and will you succeed? Do you have the schusim, the mitzvahs on your part? He would be the one to consult with the Urim Betumim, so these Urim Betumim, right, they would ask any important question to the, uh, for, uh, they would a- ask Hashem through the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol and get a response. And he was the Kohen who would do it. Why, the Lama Nikra Shemam, Kresi Uplesi, why was it called, the, the breastplate called the Kresi Uplesi? Kresi Shekarsim Divrehem, because it was very, uh, gave a, a, an answer, a clear answer, not like uh, uh, So the crazy place he gave you a final and clear answer. Um, it didn't uh, give you uh, maybe, but, and, if, I'll answer your question with a question. It wasn't that type of psaac from the crazy place. The signs that they got back from the lighting up from the, of the breastplate of the coin was a reliable answer. And then they would go ask the the After that, they would ask They would go ask uh, to send troops. <coughs> so this pasuk, where do we say this pasuk? Say this pasuk in uh, in Tehillim, of course. Ura kvaidi ura. What is it that awakens the honor of Hashem, the navel, the chinar, ira shachar? That this uh, miraculous kinar that we spoke about is what wakes up the day. Whereas other kings get woken up by the, de- by the daylight, by the day. David HaMelech is saying that I honor you, Hashem, by waking up, so to speak, waking up the dawn. I'm up before the I'm, I'm the one who starts praising you earlier. Zera Aimer. Going back to our original question, if you remember, the Gemara had a question, how is it possible that David HaMelech knew the precise moment of midnight and Moshe Rabbeinu in his final moments in Mitzrayim, when he appears with Para, he says, around midnight, right? And so it seems like David HaMelech knew the precise timing of midnight better than Moshe Rabbeinu. Says, Moshe Rabbeinu also knew exactly when midnight was. With David Nami have a yada, and David as well. The Kivan David have a yada. Kiner So if that's true, that there was, a, it was a normal thing to be able to figure out the precise millisecond of midnight without any timing instruments that we have today. 
and David HaMelech, Moshe Rabbeinu, they all knew how to calculate midnight, even without hearing some miraculous kinar uh, playing from the northern winds. So then what did, what did he need that uh, miracle for? What did he need that kinar hanging over his bed? To wake him up from his sleep. So there's, there's two reasons why you have a clock in your room, right? Why you have an alarm clock. Number one, just to be able to tell the time at all times. And number two, that it should make a noise when you need to get up. So now the Gemara of Zayu saying is to know the time, to know the precise moment, you don't need a, a kinoi. That they were able to keep time without that. But to wake up, he needed an alarm clock. So of course, the question is, if he knew when midnight was, Moshe Rabbeinu, the Kiva and the Moshe Abayada, if Moshe Rabbeinu knew the exact time of midnight, Lamele Lameimar, Kechatzos, Moshe Rabbeinu tells Parah, Kechatzos Alayla, or tells the Bnei Yisrael at midnight, he should have said, at midnight, not at around midnight. And for the Gemara, the Gemara answers, Kesav Hashem Ayitu, it's the Nine Parah, Veyayimu Moshe Badayhu. The astrologers might have gotten it wrong. Moshe Rabbeinu knew if he's going to say that at midnight the Geula is starting, the redemption is starting, and Pyra's astronomers are going to be watching their clocks and see, up oh, 12 o'clock came and nothing happened, the ball didn't drop, right? So then they're going to say, ah, we don't believe in this God, it is Moshe Rabbeinu, he's also full of tricks. Yeah, so Moshe Rabbeinu said, I know my, I'm going to be precise, but who says they're going to be precise? And I don't want a situation where it looks like a chil Hashem, it looks like a desecrating God's name, that I'm promising miracles and things are going to start to happen when it's not going to start at the moment that I promise. You should teach your tongue to say, that I'm not sure. Maybe you'll get tricked up in your words. So uh, the truth is that it, it, it a little bit comes back to that don't put yourself in a situation where you'll be sure of something, but the other person who you're dealing with won't be sure, and you're going to end up looking like you're making the mistake. I, I, it, you know, people sometimes have all types of complicated arrangements in, in, in business, and they say, but we'll know how much is sold because I have accounting, my accounting software is going to tell me how much inventory I supplied them so they'll know how much is sold based on my numbers. So that's going to help you know how much you gave them. It's not going to tell you how much they're going to say they sold. And you have to have uh, that in your mind when you, when you make up something, when you promise something, that assume there'll be human error, not just from your side, but from the other side as well, and you'll end up paying the price. Rav Ashi Amar, the real reason why it says, Ki Moshe Rabbeinu was standing the night before talking to the Bnei Yisrael at midnight. On the 13th. So Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to say to the Bnei Yisrael, right now it's, it's midnight, it's 12 o'clock at night. Tomorrow night at this time, at mid, just like we're standing at midnight, Tomorrow night at midnight is when the Geula will start. So he wasn't saying around midnight. He was saying around this time tonight, tomorrow night will be a miracle. So that's how you would describe it. If Barry says the Dafyam is going to start at this time tomorrow. So what he means to say is the same time, tomorrow time will be exactly like today's time. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to say. Okay, says the Gemara. 
L'david shamer nafshi ki chasid ani. L'david, what does the Pasuk say? Where's this Pasuk? Of course it's in? Tehillim. Fantastic, right? Feel the David. We say it Shabbos morning. I believe Nizkashkin says it Shabbos morning as well, right? No, Ashkenaz. Ashkenaz, they don't say it. Okay. <laughs> so some people say it feel right in the Pesukatism of Shabbos morning. Feel David. Hata Hashem Azucha Neni Kiyanu Ani Shamer Nafsha guards my life. Kichasid Ani for I am righteous. Shav Dercha Ata save your servant. Missing out. Right. So I, yeah, I have it on the side. Rabbi Yitzchak, so Levi Rabbi Yitzchak. Oh, what? Oh, 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 they're missing out. Okay. It's because we don't get up at midnight. So, okay. So it says the Gemara, right? We're three wide lines down on Dalad Amid Aleph, smack in the middle of the line. L'david shamer nafshi ki chasidani, guard my soul for I am righteous. Levi Rabbi Yitzchak. There's a dispute over here about this Pasuk. Chad Amar, one Mandi Amar said... What does David say to Hashem? I'm not righteous enough. Am I not Am I not righteous because I get up much earlier than all the other? I get up much earlier than all the other uh, kings to praise you. So all the other kings, what does a king do? Right? What does a king do all day? A king makes sure that they don't have too hard of a life when it comes to dealing with people. They only want to deal with the higher ups, with the upper echelons of society. Right? The king sits in their throne room and uh, gets to choose who appears before them. But David Amel says, I am not like that. I am constantly dealing with handling garments contaminated by blood, uh, menstrual blood, and shvir, shalya, uh, placenta blood, and blood of a miscarriage. Why? In order to be able to say which dam a woman will have seen or found on her clothing, on a garment of hers, and determine whether this is the Dam Nida or Dam Tahar, whether this is blood which makes her impure to her husband. So I don't treat my role as a king that is somebody who gets to sit in this uh, lofty chamber and determine who I want to see today. Rather, I spend my days, even though I'm the king, just trying to help people be Tahar. Everything I do, I Nimlach Rabbi. I don't just act. I'm the king. I could say, you know what? This is my decision. It's an executive decision. But instead of doing that, I rather, I, at all times, I ask my Rebbe, Mephibosheth, which we're going to get to an explanation of his name in a moment, whether I'm doing the right thing or not. To be honest, many years ago, we were in Buckingham Palace, and it was the summertime. The queen was not there. You could take a tour of Buckingham Palace. And they didn't have air conditioning in most of the public uh, rooms. The, the, the private, she had like 20 rooms to her private apartments, which you couldn't go into. Those had air conditioning. But the rest of the, the ballrooms and everything, she's not there in the summer. And the ceiling was uh, gold leaf or something like that. They said it would be like a $100 million or some astronomical price to break open the ceiling to install air conditioning. So they had fans, but they had no air conditioning in Buckingham Palace in the rooms where the public was allowed in. But of course, in her own private chamber, she had air conditioning. David Amel was saying, I'm not like that. 
where I go choose to run away to a palace far away from the people that's, that's more comfortable or that I have one section of the palace that's open to the public and, and I don't really care about that. To the contrary, David Amal says a Jewish king, it means that he's embracing the responsibility of making sure that the people have what they need spiritually to hire, even if I have to do things which I'm not comfortable with, even if I have to make myself open to receiving people at all times of the day or night, that's my role as a Jewish king. That was David Amelech's uh, telling Hashem why he is different than the rest. So he would go to Mephibosheth, David Amelech would go to his Rebbe Mephibosheth, Rebbe Yafadanti, Rebbe, did I judge correctly on this matter? Yafa Chayavti, when I told this person he has to pay a fine or pay or is guilty of something, was I correct in my judgment? Yafa Zachisi, Yafa Taharti, Yafa Tamesi, was I right in ruling this is Tar or Tame? And I wasn't embarrassed. Now, for a regular person or for a Rav to go and ask somebody higher up than them, did I do the right thing? That uh, you want to be responsible. You want to make sure that you're getting it right. You have liabilities. But for a king, for David Amelech, nobody's ever going to challenge him on it. Nobody's ever going to challenge him on it. Nobody's going to go ask a Shiloh. I went to David Amelech and he told him like this, did I do the right thing? Yeah, that's married B'Malchus. You can't start up with the king. And yet David Amelech still wanted to show that he had tremendous achrayas to the halacha, tremendous responsibility to making sure that his decisions were accurate. So he would go ask his Rebbe, did I do the right thing? What is it that it says? I have spoken your laws and I have not been embarrassed. So that, that's the Pasuk that tells us that David HaMelech was very meticulous in keeping the Halacha. His name was not from the mouth of shame, but rather Ishboishas, a person who shames, was his name. He was called Mepibaishas, the, uh, the, the mouth of shame. He would embarrass David in Halacha. He would always tell David, no, you're making a mistake. That's actually not the right Halacha. So, and David would still go back to him and ask him what, if he's doing right or wrong. Typically, if you go to a rabbi and they embarrass you because you make a mistake, there's a, that's not a comfortable situation. You're not going to be so quick to run back to that person, right? Because David HaMelech was so concerned that his psaq, that his rulings would be correct and would be helpful and guide people on the right path and not mess people up, so he still went back to Mephibosheth, even though it wasn't a pleasant experience for him. And because of that, he got uh, Kilaev. He got, uh, he merited to have a son, uh, a descendant Kilaev. Was this Rebbe allowed to embarrass him? So, the king? This Gemara doesn't give us enough, it, it seems like... I don't, know, I don't want to mix too much of 21st century ideology and psychology into this shot because obviously their relationship was a, was a, was a one-time relationship. Um, 
the question is, if he wouldn't be allowed to, what was the, why was David HaMelech allowed to keep going back? If somebody's doing, if, if a Rebbe is doing something usher, if it was usher for him to rebuke in that manner, we're assuming that he was aware that his manner was considered so offensive. It's, it's very possible that Mephibosheth, I mean, the Gemara is going to talk a little bit later, that, but it, it, the fact that David HaMelech's reward was Kalaev almost goes to show that David HaMelech not necessarily was doing something wrong, but he, 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 he still benefited somehow from going back to this, to Mephibosheth. And he was rewarded for it. But the question is whether Mephibosheth was allowed to do it. He wasn't considered Merib Malchus. I don't, I don't think, right? We don't see that he was considered. You're talking here, there's a most likely between Rashi and Kleoker if, if, if he actually was correcting him or not. Rashi says yes, Cleoker says Right, Rashi's... Yeah, Cleoker says that he didn't... He watched him a call, that he, he corrected... He, he was always right. <coughs> he was always right. Dovah was always right. But Mephibosheth would give him... Re, like, he would give him arguments that, that Dovah couldn't answer. So mm-hmm. talk, it sounds like they were... I mean, they don't answer this question exactly. It sounds like they were talking and learning. Talking it was what? embarrassing to Dovah because he couldn't figure it out. But that's... I don't think that's a... It's not murder. I don't know how is a murder of Malchus. What are the laws, you know... In a regular case. But it's also different when the king comes to you and asks. If you go over to the king and tell him you should have said this, that's, that's murder. But Malchus, right. but if He's the king comes to you to ask. This is his right. rabbi. He's right. trying, he, he wants to talk to him and learn. Right. But I'm, I'm just adding it that if it would be, if Mephibosheth was doing something which Api Allah was wrong, David Amalek wouldn't have the right to go back to Mephibosheth. Something, or, or just... It wouldn't be praiseworthy that you went to somebody who's not acting. You went to go out. You you find out that there's a, a rabbi who gives a heter to uh, do something which is not real, no, which is not permissible. And you say, oh, I'm going to ask that rabbi, that shaila. Uh, you, you didn't get any heter for yourself. You you went and, uh, and chose somebody who's not doing the right thing. So that's why my riot and Bishus wasn't wasn't looked at as doing something which he was totally also <laughs> do. We're talking about Daniel. Because he was actually able to finish off the debate with Mephibosheth. He was able to compete. He was able to bring joy because of his ability to answer back, uh, his ability to answer back in sharp debate with Mephibosheth. Um, just to one line on that last note, Rashi's David Maktin Atzma Yzeichav Yatzman That David Maktin Atzma, he 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 lowered himself. He was cutting. He he didn't get any gaiva in his system. Sometimes when somebody has an opponent, well, he was a Rebbe, he wasn't an opponent, but when somebody's trying to prove a point, the Yitzhahara could trick them into thinking that you really could debate Mephibosheth, and maybe his answers, he just doesn't want to listen to you, but he really, he doesn't know what he's talking about. David HaMelech, the schar that David HaMelech got is that he remained humble, and that he didn't get this uh, be- be- false belief that Mephibosheth doesn't know what he's talking about, I do. To be able to debate, to, to go and ask somebody and not understand their advice and not blame it and, and accept that you can't understand it, that perhaps is the biggest uh, reason why Dabra 
Uzaycha to a descendant who had super ability to debate and understand halachic reasoning because he didn't allow himself to, out of shame, adopt a false sense of uh, gaiva. Now, if you remember the beginning of this Gemara, a couple of lines up, we said David was, we talked about why David HaMelech used to get up earlier than other kings, making him into a chassid. In fact, the Gemara, that David HaMelech wasn't sure that he would see the goodness in uh, Why is there a dot there? David, not in the Gemara, but in the actual Tehillim. I am certainly sure and know that the righteous will be rewarded in the next world. I have no doubts in my belief in Eilam Haba. But I don't know if I'm going to be from those righteous people who get to see the reward in the next world. This is David Amel talking about himself. <laughs> Or not. Because for, for perhaps I have done some sin that will hold me back from seeing uh, the reward in Elam Haba. Now, the question is did David Amalek have something specific in mind, a specific hate in mind? Or did he have a general healthy sense that people are not perfect and I'm a person? And perhaps I won't end up with the righteous. And that's the approach that Rashi takes over here. Rashi says, four lines in the wide lines down, in the middle of the page, There was nothing in David Amalek's history at that point that he really thought to himself, I don't have a portion in the world to come. But I am a human being. And the Yitzhahara is the Yitzhahara. The Satan could always try and trick somebody. So do I have a guarantee that I'll end up in the world, in the righteous world, that I don't have a guarantee? Says the Gemara, he asked the contradiction. On the one hand, it says, by Yaakov Avinu, he knew that Hashem promised him that he'll be safe. But it also says, Vayir Yaakov Ma'id, that Yaakov was afraid of Esav, right? So why, why, how could he be afraid of Esav if Hashem already promised him that, that all will be well? Because Yaakov he says, must be that Yaakov also was afraid that there'll be a chait that, uh, that, that, that stops him from being Zaycha to win over Esav. So we see that this Mida of David HaMelech comes from Yaakov Avinu, that you, a person as great as Yaakov Avinu, with Hashem's promises and all, always has to be careful. When the, when they passed over into Eretz Yisrael, when did we go into Eretz Yisrael as a glorified nation with a clear act of Hashem without any other nations of having control over Azubi Yerushayi when Yeshua took the Bnei Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael for the first time. Amzu Kanisa, but when did we go? Not as our own free will, not with as much power. Zubi Yashniya, when they came back up in the time of Ezra. Ezra, 
after the destruction and the Golas of Bavel, we were supposed to have a second coming. We were supposed to have an arrival in Eretz Yisrael as glorious as when Yahushua, in the beginning of Tanakh, took the Jewish people out of the desert into Israel. But because of the sins of the Bnei Yisrael, it ended up being they were building the base of Mikdash in the, in, under Koresh, Nachashverosh, Dayavesh, the whole, uh, that uh, there was kings of, uh, non-Jewish kings, who were giving us permission to come back and rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. That's not as glorious as having a leader like Yoshua march us straight into Eretz Yisrael and show everybody that it was our rightful land. Who do the Chachamim hold like? Now we're finally going back to Hilchus Kriyashima, to the source, the original Mishnah. What did the Chachamim say in the Mishnah? When is the latest time to say Shema? Chatzais, midnight. What were the other opinions in the Mishnah? Rabbi Lezer said uh, till the 10th hour. Till, I'm sorry, 4th hour. And Rabbi said all night. And Rabbi said all night. So we had three opinions yeah, in the Mishnah. Then we had a bunch of Bryces. Now, if you remember, the Gemara on the Bezom and Aleph immediately said, quoted a Pasuk. Where does this Tana, where does our Mishnah start off? Where's the starting point from our Mishnah? And we said, it says in the Pazik of Shema Be'eshach Be'cha Ube'kumecha, when you wake up, right? So the source for those three opinions of the times is from Be'eshach Be'cha, when you go to sleep and when you wake up. The evening times has to do with going to sleep. So the Chacham say midnight, midnight is not a time that you go to sleep. And it's not a time that you wake up from sleeping. So where is their source? How could that they be learning out the same source from the word Uve when you will go to sleep? Midnight? Who's going to sleep at midnight? Didn't we talk about there was three types of times that people went to sleep though? Three watches of the night we talked about. Yeah, but you had also that the um, the the Uni went to sleep earlier. Right. But none of those are midnight. Nobody's midnight? That, that's the Gemara's okay, assumption. Gets up, gets up. Gets up, right. So that's the end, that's the last time you see Krishna is when the earliest person would wake up. Well, you're but saying the word Uve Shachbecha and when you will lie down is referring to actually when you will get up? No. I'm saying the last time that you, you, you cannot say Krishna for night once one could get up. Oh, so, right. Okay. Okay. So you're asking a question. Well, to be honest, that's not fair. David Amelech is not the, David Amelech had a, yes, if you have a harp hanging over your bed, then the, the earliest time to wake up in the night is midnight. But that's not for uh, the Hamoy Nam. That's, uh, that, that, that's, uh, that would be my argument on that. Now the truth is, if people went to sleep at daybreak, when, when, the, when the lights went out at 8 o'clock at night, 7 o'clock at night, and they woke up, you know, Tikkun Chatzai, so whatever, they woke up 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, they slept 4 or 5 hours, it could be the. It could be historically there have been people who woke up at twelve, one, two in the morning. It wasn't like uh, they didn't sleep at all. They slept three, four hours, and then maybe they took a nap later on. So who is it that says that midnight is a time of sleeping? That you could still say Shema till midnight. If they hold that. The, 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 that really like Rebbe Liazer, and that you start saying Shema, you finish at Chatzos, but you start saying Shema when? 
No, if like, that, that, that you finish the that you finish hour. at the fourth hour. So lemru kerebel yezin, meaning we're assuming the chachamim are not an independent opinion, which the Gemara is going to clarify. Because at the moment the Gemara is not explaining what what the havmina is. If the ikram gamliel sphere the whole gamliel. The question is, how do the Chacham interpret the Pasuk of B'Shach B'cha? We understand Ram Gamliel how he interprets it. We understand that it means Kal Halayla, all the night. So they should have said, we interpret the Pasuk, even though our halachic analysis is different, but we interpret the Pasuk like Ram Gamliel. La'elum Kerem Gamliel, Sfir Lohan. The verse is, in fact, that is what we say. On Dalad Ahmed Bey's third line down. V'hadika Amri Ad Chatsa, isn't this that we said? Till midnight is the deadline to say Shema. Is to stop you from doing an Avera. Like we learned in a Chacham create a fence, a barrier for the rules, for the laws of the Torah. I don't know if anybody here could relate to this, but it's possible a person will come home from the Sada. Where was the Sada? Their workplace. At night. I'm going to go home for a little bit. I'll eat a little bit, and I'll have a, a cocktail when I get home from work. I'll have a little bit of a drink. And I'll just doze off on the couch just for a couple of minutes. And then I'm going to daven my and then I'll go to say Shema, and I'll, and I'll daven. But his sleep grabs him. And it turns out he wakes up in the morning after his little nap in the couch and it's five o'clock in the morning. It's already time to get up, right? So there used to be people who that would happen to. But rather, what, what should be the preferred thing to do? What is the preferred behavior of a Jew? Be'erev, a person comes home at night from the field, immediately they go into shul, if they read, or daven, or if they learn, then they should learn, and they say shema, and they daven ma'erev, and go home, eat supper, and bench afterwards. Now, I used to think that like a minion factory, I had a lot of rabbeim who were against this concept of a minion factory of having just like minyanim, especially mincha mayrev, just one after the other, that you go, you daven, and, uh, and you just have, a, you don't have a set time for davening. But the truth is, according to this b'risa, if it's dependent on when you come home from work, so people come home from work different times, six, seven, eight o'clock, whatever it is, so then you're gonna, by necessity, you're going to need a choice of minyanim in order to be able to fulfill the words of this b'risa. The chal- what? It's not a minion factory. The, the Meirv is not the, at the, Mincha is not at 6 o'clock or uh, 5.30. Mincha is from 5.30 and on, whenever the next minion is, right? The, because uh, you want people to be able to fulfill the words of this Gemara. Wow! The Tana, this Brisa finishes off and says, whoever violates the words of Chachamim and doesn't take the midnight deadline seriously, Chayev Misa. Is uh, liable for the death penalty. That's ah ah ah. Why over here? Ken's kasha. That why? Uh, uh, what's going on over here? That this gather of chatzais there should be a chayev misa on it. The Gemara gives two reasons why, yes, 
this particular halacha of Shema at night is worthy of an extra alarming penalty and a reiteration of how serious the words of the Chachamim, the words of our rabbis are. There's two good reasons why we need to be more careful with the mitzvah of Shema at night and Mayrif. Number one, because you're tired. And number two, because the halacha, the, the mandate for Mayrif is more, is, is greater, uh, is less of an, a biblical obligation. And therefore, People are lax in it. People will come to say, Mayrav is not so important. Kamash Mulan de Chayva. No, it's an absolute responsibility to daven Mayrav as well. If somebody tells you, eh, I daven Shachris, I daven Mincha, but Mayrav is only a, a rabbinical, it's a Chumrah. Mayrav is only a Chumrah. The Gemara say, what are you talking about? The Gemara and Brachas Daf, Dalid, Amud, Beis says, right, that it's a Chayva. So don't tell me that Mayrav is less strict. The Chacham came along and said, if you play around with Meir, if you don't say it at all, or you don't say it on time, you're being mezalza, you're ruining the words of Chazal, you're messing with the rabbis, and that's a death penalty for that. We see, if somebody has a mitzvah, which was less, uh, less appreciated or less accepted as an important thing, Chacham came along and said, you have to actually strengthen it. Amar Mar, says the Gemara. So, to, to, just to, the bottom line is, the Chachamim are not arguing about the interpretation of the Pasuk Uvashach Bacha, correct? That the Kriya Shema is recited at the time one goes to sleep. It has to be finished reciting Shema. It, 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 it can be recited the whole night long, as long as people are sleeping. It doesn't have to be recited right away in the beginning of the night. But they also don't want you to think that in your head. Because if you think that I have the whole night, you know, then you'll end up uh, pushing it off. So they said, Tilchat says. And I remember asking Rabbi Davis many times, what is the earliest time of Misha Yaker in Hollywood? There's many different ways of calculating the beginning time of davening, of putting on thousand tefillin. And you jokingly always answer, I don't answer Shilas for people who daven Shachas when you could still daven Meirif. That was always his joke in response. And uh, it, it is very hard to calculate it in a city, especially now you have more lights in the sky than ever before. You really have to go somewhere where there's no light at all and see the shiurim, which we'll get to in due time, when the earliest time to daven is. He said the first minute is, is too early? I, I'm not saying nothing. I'm a, oh, what was he saying? Um, that's what I was trying to get him to say. But uh, there's always what to rely on. Says the Gemara, right? We are one, two, three, four, five lines from where they get wide. Five lines before they get wide, but the two dots. We just said that you said the proper thing to do at night, recite Shema first and then Davin Shemona Esrei, correct? We just had that in the Brisa. Apparently that's not uh, such a clear-cut thing. And Rabbi Yechanan is, that's only Rabbi Yechanan's opinion. Who is the one who's going to have a portion of the world to come? The one who puts the Shema, the portion of the Bracha of Shema, of the Geula, of the Exodus, next to Shemona Esrei, even by Mayrif. That's Rabbi Yechanan's opinion. First comes Shema, 
with the bracha of Geula, Gal Yisrael, and then comes from Nasri. Rib Shubin Levi Aimer, Tfilos Ba'emsa Tiknum. There should be Shema in the morning, Shmona Esrei, Shmona Esrei, Shmona Esrei, and then Shema, but not in the order that we do it today. What is the argument about? Either the dispute between Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yehoi Shuben Levi is regarding interpreting a Pasik or regarding a Svara. Whether the Gula, the Gal Yisrael, that we talk about in Mayriv is really called uh, Gula or not. It's not the ultimate Gula Ma'al Yisrael. It's not the long bracha of the Gula of the redemption. And therefore, it's not, going, it's not as important. So the dispute is whether the this that we said that you have to put the geula the story of the redemption the bracha of the redemption in the kriya shema next to shemayna esrei is considered the nighttime gal yisrael has the same status as the morning one or not and if it doesn't then you don't need to put it before shemayna esrei that would be rebbeshuvan levi. Rabbi Yechon says, no, a brach of God, Yisrael is a brach of God, Yisrael. You're, you're talking about the redemption and you want to be a muftach ben Mahaba. You want to make sure that you have as many chances as possible as getting into the world to come. And who, how do we know that you should try as much as possible? Make sure you have a portion of all above. First of all, it's common sense. Second of all, didn't we just see in the Gemara that David Melch and Yaakov Avinu were worried about their portions in the world to come? So certainly it's incumbent upon us to be worried as well. Says the Gemara, they have an argument over a pasuk. You shall sleep and you shall get up. That there is a comparison between the two. Just like in the morning Shema, you have to do Shema Nesrei afterwards. So too in the evening Shema. Shuvin Levi says, Yes, indeed, it has to be like the morning Shema. Just like in the morning you say the Shema uh, when you get up from your bed next to your bed, so too at night the Kriya Shema comes, which would mean after Shemona Esrei when you're getting ready to go to bed. So closer to the, you say Shema in the morning, before Shemona Esrei, closer to the time of waking up, so too the Shema in the evening should be closer to the time of going to sleep than the Shemona Esrei. Is that why we do both today? Because of the Rakhlegis or no? Uh, well, the Gemara is going to talk later on about the, the Kriya Shema that, that we okay. recite the, the, by the bed. Masav Marbarei de Ravina asked the following question. At night, how many brachas of Shema do we say? Two blessings on the Shema before, correct? And two after. Now we know our Mayrev, depending on where you daven, but we know we have other insertions into the, in between the Shema itself and the Amida and the Shemona Esrei of Mayrev, right? We have Hashkivenu, we have Yeru Einenu. So we're going to, all that was now about to be addressed. Hashkivenu is the second bracha. Oh, let's see, let's see. That's 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 the Gemara. Uh, uh, yeah, the hold, hold your horses. The Amrit by Lismaich. If you have to have Geula, the Brach of Gal Yisrael, 
right next to Shmoyin Esrei. Correct. It's a half sick. You're inserting the paragraph of Hashkivenu after Gal Yisrael. You are not really reciting the bracha on the redemption, on the exodus, immediately right before Shmona Esrei. You're putting in other things in between. Of course, even though Hashkivenu, that paragraph that we insert, is a separate insertion, but since Chazal are the ones who told you to put it there, it is considered like part of the blessing of Gal Yisrael. Now, what was the Havamina then? That's my question. Meaning, what, what did we think a minute ago? That Chazal, that it was considered a hefsik? What, when, when we asked the question, what was our Havamina? That if Hashkivenu is not part of the Geula, if the Chazachamim don't have the ability to say, even though you formally said the words Gal Yisrael already, we can still extend another paragraph to that theme. So then what, what else is it doing there? I'm not sure what the Havamina was. Okay. Well, would it be, be a riot to the other side? That you don't need it. Right. That you don't need it. Right. right. And, and that, uh, that's, I, am I stuck with that? That's my question. Is there any other way to understand what Hashkivenu, that you do need Geula, Samach Tfila, and you don't need, uh, and you don't have Hashk, uh, and you don't have, uh, and you don't have, uh, right. So that, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe that if it's, uh, uh, you know, the same way, right, the same way, uh, we'll get to Kaddish, the, uh, that what's that quasi quasi geula? That's a yeah yeah. The like tei mahachi shachros heichim matzis samech. Amar Rabbi Yechonon betchilai Hashem sasai tiftach. Even in the morning tefillah, you finish right. Everybody says Gal Yisrael. Now there's great debate how the chazan in halacha. How do you finish it off, right? How does the chazan do Gal Yisrael? Does he say it quietly so that nobody has to answer amen to it? So that it shouldn't be a half sick. But even with all those chumras, beautiful, very nice, we're very excited for you. You figured it out how not to have to have an obligation to say amen, which would be an interruption between your shema and your shmon esrei. But of course, we all start off the morning shmon esrei. Why is that not considered a hefsik, an interruption between Geula, the brach of Gal Yisrael, and Shmon Esrei? We see this concept that if Chazal stuck in words in order to enhance your davening, that is not considered a hefsik, that is considered a requirement to be able to have a Shmona Esrei, to be able to have a Shema. If you really want to have a Shema and a Bracha of Gal Yisrael, which brings you peace and brings you safety, that Shmira that you want from your davening. So it's in Chazal said, you also need the Bracha of Hashkivenu. I think the Sephardi version of Hashkivenu is also a little bit like a Tachanon. I think there's, more, there's, there's a whole different, right? They insert like 10 words, which is uh, allusion to 10 Chatoim, what? During the week. The week. During the week, yeah, yeah. Oh, not on Shabbos. Oh, Shabbos. That's what I'm saying. I think they consider a little, something in my memory makes me think back that it's like a Tachman. Amar Rebbe Lazar, Amar Rebbe Avina. Now we get into a little bit of discussion about Ashrei. If you say Ashrei in Pesukah de Zimra, Ashrei in Ashrei Valutzin, and Ashrei before Mincha, 
or more precisely, Tila David, Asher's added on. You promised to be a Ben Elmaba. Now, this is very funny because in the previous Gemara, the one who wrote these words, David Amelach, said he's not sure whether he's getting Elmaba or not. But we're telling you that if you recite these words three times a day, yes, it's a good recipe for Elmaba. That's a raya, that's a proof to what Rashi said. That David Amelach didn't have in his head, I did X, Y, and Z, I did the Navera, maybe with Uriel, maybe whoever it was what, with that maybe I did something which stripped me of my Elmaba. Rather, David Amelach was expressing a healthy attitude that the Yetzirah never gives up and he's always looking to rob us of our portion in the world to come and therefore we must make sure to be on our guard. So, call, so if you don't, if you say it three times a day, it says you'll promise a portion of the world to cut my time. Because it's an acrostic. What's the word? Acrostic, mm-hmm. right? It's it's got the full olive base. Name Ashrei to me mederech the Asi b'tmanya often elamishum the isbe pesechas yedecha pesechas yedecha. So Gemara says there's a better pasuk to say Ashrei to me mederech the Asi b'tmanya often that has everything. Those words, the important words of Ashrei, says if that's so important, you should have said uh, the main, major hollow. Because it both has the olive base in it, and it mentions the fact that Hashem is the one who ultimately is the great provider of sustenance. Now, if you notice, there's no nun. Because it talks about the downfall of Israel. Even though it says the downfall of the haters of Israel, it means the downfall of the Bnei Yisrael, the, 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 the expulsion and punishments that befall the Jewish people. So nun is nefila, is our falling down. We want to take that out. In Marava, in Marava, in the Eretz Yisrael, Metarzila, they would say a different reason. There's another pasuk that tells us that uh, Nefila is referring to the downfall of Bnei Yisrael. So it seems like when we talk about the down psukim which allude to our punishment and our downfall, David Amalek said, You have to remember, even in your punishment, even in exile, even when you're in Golis, Hashem is ultimately picking us up. So for that reason, you should, you should say it. So, He's saying it's not such a bad thing. We'll, we'll fall down a bit of Hashem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't take away... The and the fact that it's not a glorious uh, pasuk when it comes to describing us, right? But it also a person shouldn't be miyayish and say, look at this, even the psukim talk about our downfall and how we'll never rise up again. David Amal quickly said, don't interpret those psukim to mean we'll never really rise up again. Because of course it says, that even if you're a naifal, Hashem is supporting you. Even if you're fallen, Hashem supports you. And once you get the podium, you get to keep it. So Rabbi Lazar Baravina keeps going, right? I'm Rabbi Lazar Baravina. God the Malach Michal is described as greater than Gabriel. It describes one flight of the Echad is referring to Michal. And it says that 
And when it comes to describe the Malach Gavriel's flights, it says it took him two flights. My Mashma, the high Echad Machal, who, how do you know that the first Pasuk is referring that, that to Machal? Because whenever it says Echad, plain about a Malach, it's referring to Machal. One of the heavenly dwellers, the Sraf and the Malachim, was flying. Ah, so we see there that Mechal is always described as, whenever it says Echad, a Malach, who is one, and doesn't say a name, it's referring to the angel Mechal. Tana, Mechal Ba'achas, one flight, Mechal reaches his destination. Gavriel, how many flights, how many legs of the flight does he need to reach his destination? Bishtayim. Elio Ba'arba, Elio Navi requires four flights. And Malach HaMavis takes him eight legs on a of journey, of, of flying time, in order to reach his destination. So that means when somebody has, unfortunately, a uh, decree of death put on them, and the Malach HaMavis gets into motion, it takes him eight trips to reach his victim. However... Whatever that means. <laughs> eight flights, right? Michelle says it gives you eight chances to, to, to do tshuva. Because how many does the malach, uh, the malachim, right? The malach or fall could come to you in one or two. So is you have... So he needs eight flights. Okay. But if you're... Uh, very good, yeah. But if you're in a time of plague, a time of death... Malchamavas is ba'achas. He is there at the turn of uh, 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 one flight. I think uh, it's 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 you know we sometimes wonder why danger when you're in a danger zone. Even if you don't deserve to get hit, you may be hit. If you're at a time when people are dying, when there's Hashem gave permission for this Malchamavas to do his job, Magefa with a, oh with a broad paintbrush, you want to stay away from that place. From that area, because even if you have the zechusim to not get killed, you could say, "Yeah, it's hashkacha pratis. I could be in, uh, you know, in a war zone. There's no hash, your hashkacha is 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 weakened. Your chances of survival are weakened, even if you have enough mitzvahs, enough merit, because it's a magefa." And this is really goes back to what Barry was saying earlier. Of course, we know you daven shema in 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 shul mitzvah It's a mitzvah to go ahead and say it again on your bed. It seems to be that even if you said it in the right time in shul, it's a separate mitzvah to say it. It's a separate mitzvah to say it shema in bed. Amr Biasi Maikra, where's the source in the Pasik? Rigzu Baltahto, Imru Bilvavchem Al Mushkavchem, the Daimu Salah. You shall tremble and not and not sin and say it in your hearts on your beds. What should you say in your hearts on your bed? Kriya Shema. Amr of Nachman and Tam Chachem who ain't sarah. But if he's a Tamd Chachem, he does not need to. Amr Abaya Aftam Chachem, Rachmi, Gran Biatcha Afkid Ruchi, Pedisa Isa Shema Lemus. Even somebody who's a great scholar, somebody who has tremendous merit still needs to say a Pasuk in bed, something to bring Hashem with them and have a wonderful fact. The first paragraph.